hear the word of God from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. These readings come from the Common English Bible. If any of you are suffering, they should pray. If any of you are happy, they should sing. If any of you are sick, they should call for the elders of the church, and the elders should pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer that comes from faith will heal the sick, for the Lord will restore them to health. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. For this reason, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful in what it can achieve. The word of God for the world. Well, good morning, everyone. Whoa. We're going to talk about prayer. Apparently, we're going to see how it all works out here in a moment. Um, let's pray. Let's just pause for a minute. We're talking about prayer. Our mind always runs around and often we can't slow it down. Let's try to slow it down for a moment. Let's pray together. God, we pray that we might have open hearts and open minds. We pray that whatever message you would want us to have as a result of being here to worship you today, we might take it and we might receive it and we might live it so we can live in everyday faith. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So to live in everyday faith, like Ali said, it's uh, our last Sunday, we have to pray. We have to actually pray. Martin Luther, the great reformer of our faith, said this. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is like being alive without breathing. Prayer for us is important. It strengthens our relationship with God. But some of us, I think, some of us can be honest that we struggle with questions like, does it really matter? Does it work? Can it change things? Well, what about healings and miracles? Do they even really happen? Or does God even hear me when I'm uttering my prayers? How do I do it? How do I not just talk, but actually listen to God? Those are questions that some of us have sometimes. James says a resounding yes to many of those questions and he ends his power-packed letter with the reminder that the prayer of the righteous person is powerful in what it can achieve. So here's my question for you today. Is your prayer life powerful? Is it powerful? Crickets? Hopefully. Maybe. I'm hoping today that James might open something for us so that our prayers' lives can be absolutely powerful. He says that you can be a righteous person whose prayers are powerful. But before we seek it out, it's helpful to kind of examine our starting place about who God is. Our understanding of God and our image of God will shape our prayer life. So a few years ago, I had lunch with a friend. And this guy was a good dude. He was raised in the church. He, uh, we, we had 
reconnected after some time. He, he came to the church. He kind of fell away in his young adult years like many, many people do. But he was back. And he was kind of reigniting his faith. And, and during this lunch, we were chit-chatting. And, and I had found out that his father had died some, some months ago. And the family was really struggling with that grief and that uh, hurt and kind of how to make sense of it all. And at the conclusion of our time, I said to him, how can, I, uh, how can I be intentionally praying for you? And Siri said, I'm just kidding. I'm, no, it's okay. It's totally good. Um, so I'll never forget what he said. It was like that. It was like that Siri moment when Siri says something back to you that you're not expecting. It, this is what he said. He said, Justin, I don't think God worries about me and my problems. God has bigger things to worry about. So as I probed him a little bit, I discovered he wasn't sure that God cared about the intricacies of his life, his joys, his concerns, his challenges. And you know, I I find that people generally, in a general sense, understand God in a couple of different ways, maybe a few different ways. The first way was like my friend. God is indifferent. God is powerful. Thomas Jefferson, to some degree, had this view. He kind of extracted the miracles out of the Bible and wrote his own. Um, God created, and then God pulled back. Let this work itself out on its own. An indifferent God. People from that view don't necessarily believe that God has a desire to have intimate connection with us and with you. They think, how could a creator that created the majesty of the universe, if you think just like how small we are, care about little old me? So that's one perspective. The second that I know is they believe in God, but they think God might be angry. Keeping a tally of our ledgers, of our wrongs, and maybe our rights, kind of waiting to pounce and be the cosmic Santa Claus, keeping track of who's naughty and who's nice. And they can even point to some parts of Scripture that might even support that point of view, that God is angry. And you know, for me, in my own spiritual life walking, I kind of vacillated between an indifferent and angry God for a long time. Um, before, Before having an experience that changed me, I pointed to my own growing up experience, the evil in the world and the things that I saw as wrong and bad and suffering and and I ignored any evidence to the contrary. And so anger, what often happens is an indifferent God will lead to an angry God or lead to the third perspective, bless you, which is no God. The third perspective, and admittedly, it's a little bit more recent in history is that there's no God at all. It rejects that anything is divine and anything like miracles are just out of the question. So you see, starting places in your understanding and my understanding and our understanding of God really, really matter because it determines the shape of our prayer life if and how we pray. If there is no God, then there's no need to pray. If God is indifferent, God might not hear us or respond to our prayers 
anyway. If God is angry, tolerating our wrongs, our prayer life is going to be shaped by guilt and fear and punishment and shame. Now, some people have the idea that God is a cosmic uh, vending machine where you could just put in the right prayers and have the right amount of money or give the right thing and press the buttons and God's going to produce. So what happens if it doesn't happen? What happens if we don't get pregnant? What happens if the person dies? What happens if the marriage or the relationship falls apart? Is it because we don't have the right spirit or the right faith? Where you start matters. So our last view, and I would say it's a Christian perspective, is that God is omnipresent. A view that sees God as the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is beyond us, larger than us, bigger than us, but also with us. And I hope you've experienced this grace or are at least willing to consider that it could be true, that it might be true, and explore that relationship. Here, God is not angry or indifferent, but benevolent, more for us than we are for ourselves. And St. Augustine said this, I love this quote, I think it comes from Confessions. It says, God cares for each of us as though we were the only one. What if you believe that? What if you believe that in your life? What if you believed when you woke up and opened your eyes that God saw you like you're the only one? Would that change the way you prayed? It would for me. I forget sometimes. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And as we come to experience and discover that, we can believe with our heart and our soul there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. No amount of goodness or being a good person or, or doing all the right things gets us righteous, like James says in the scripture, because he says a righteous person. So what does it mean to be righteous and that's good news that we don't have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to get to God but when we experience that grace not only in our head but in our heart it compels us to respond it compels us to give of our time and our talent it it it, it empowers us to worship God and listen to God's word and learn about him and it inspires us to pray too because we respond to the divine lover and participate in God's transformation of the world so with Christ at the starting place not only can we believe that prayer matters and deepens relationship with us and God and us with others but we actually have the power to experience it but I know for me and I'm guessing for you that sometimes You struggle with prayer. Does anybody here struggle with prayer at all? Yes. One person put his hand in the back. You are so honest, Ed. I love it. So I put something up on social media this week. And I wrote, because I know that prayer for me doesn't always feel powerful. 
it does not always feel powerful. So I put up on social media this week, I wrote, um, for those of you that pray, what works for you? And then this is what I was really interested in. What are your obstacles? What are your obstacles to praying? So here's, here's what I got. I'll share them with you. Anxiety. I can't stay awake. I can't slow down. I stay too busy and don't make time. I can't turn off the noise inside my head. I don't know how to listen and know what the promptings of God are. I don't take the time. I'm not taking the time to listen. I do all the talking. I avoid the, the quiet. Guilt. Relying on habits instead of thoughtfully connecting. Guilt. I feel like nothing. I, I feel like I'm talking to nothing. And then the most consistent, and I want to see if this, this, this squares with you all, the most consistent one that was said over and over again in these different forms was, my mind wanders. How many of you have been praying? praying for Sally. I just hope Sally gets better. I pray that God would be with her during this thing. I can't wait for lunch. Lunch is going to be excellent. <laughs> Thinking about I got to have that meeting later on. And next thing you know, you're like totally somewhere else. You're totally off, off kilter. So Jesus had something to say about prayer in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, when you pray, do not keep babbling, babbling like pagans. They think they will be heard for their many words. I take that as really good news. Like, our prayers can be short. I love what uh, Anne Lamont says, the three prayers that are really, really awesome. Thanks. Meister, Meister Eckhart said, if you only said thanks and that was the only prayer you ever uttered, that would be enough. Thanks, wow, and help. Thanks, wow, and help. Those are really, really great prayers. When I first got sober, when I was uh, kind of really, really struggling, and I didn't know God, I wasn't sure, I was still thinking God might be an angry, certainly an indifferent God, I'd, I'd get on my knees because somebody told me, and I'd say, keep me away from a drink drug, chew or smoke. That was it. And I'd get on my knees at night, and I'd say, thank you for keeping me sober. Help me stay sober another day. Sometimes the voluminous nature of our prayers don't don't have to be this big, long-winded thing. We can just say, be with Sally. It's enough. It's enough. Christians believe that prayer matters. It isn't impotent or worthless. And while it can be simple, it isn't easy. So to nurture this powerful relationship with God, It's going to require some stuff. It's going to require discipline. It's going to require some concentration. It's going to require some patience in setting aside time. And sometimes we'll have to suspend our doubt and our reason about is God really doing anything here? And we'll have to do it anyway. We have a good term for that, faking it until we make it. So James has some things to say to us about prayer. And I think what I love about it is he says, he says this, is any of you suffering? Then pray. And what what that means to me is God is very interested in the ways that you are suffering in your life. God is very, very interested in the places in your life that you're hiding from other people, perhaps, that are slaying you and hurting your heart. 
God wants to know about them. And, and inviting other people into it is important. That's the first one. And then the second question I love, are any of you cheerful? So it's not just suffering that God wants to be a part of, but it's also the cheerful. What are you grateful for? How can you invite God into this immense joy that you have in your life for your kids, for your family, for your life? What are you joyful about? Sing songs of praise, God says. The third one, which I think is hard for us in our culture and our time. The third one says, are any of you sick? Are any of you sick? Let them call to the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. You see, God is inviting us to pray for one another and Christian community. Again, he's not preaching to the world out here. He's preaching to the church, to us. Who knows where you're suffering? Who knows where you know that, who, who knows in your life where you need some healing? Is there anybody that can pray with you and over you for the healing, whether it be physical or some soul healing? Because powerful prayer creates connection. It creates connection with God and it creates connection with each other. It's less about feeling. It's less about feeling. And it's more about practice. I thought I had to have like this, like this amazing kind of connection and this powerful... No. Sometimes it's just being humble enough to say, God, I'm really, really suffering. Or God, I'm really, really happy. Or God, I really don't know how to handle this. Help me. So here's the one thing I thought it was interesting that didn't show up on my um, Facebook feed, that James talks a lot about it. If you read the whole letter, James doesn't seem like the most uplifting fellow at times. <laughs> He's kind of intense. So this is what he says. This is verse 16. Verse 16, he says, Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. You know, I think sometimes it's hard for us to have a powerful prayer life because we keep our sins, which, let me unpack that word for a moment, to ourselves. We don't share them with anybody else. So I used this uh, metaphor earlier this week in a group I'm in. It's um, the metaphor of an artery filled with plaque, atherosclerosis. What happens in our prayer life is we have a bunch of gunk that kind of blocks us up. It could be anger. could be unforgiveness. It could be what we're looking at late at night. could be a number of different things. And what happens as we start to separate ourselves from God and one another and God and our neighbors, plaque starts to be, build up on the wall. And it begins to constrict the flow and connection that we have between us and God. And here's what confession does. It angioplasties that plaque out. And it opens us up more to being able to be connected with God. 
the great priest Henry Nouwen says this. He said, praying is no easy matter. It demands a relationship in which you allow someone other than yourself to enter into the very center of your person, to see what you would rather leave in the darkness and to touch there what you would rather leave untouched. Henry is, is channeling James here and he's saying that God is rarely going to force himself upon us. He does, but more often than not, it's our opening up to God. If we're going to have powerful prayer, we have to confess the stuff and the gunk that blocks us from God. If we're unforgiving towards someone, Invite God into the unforgiveness. You might say, I am not forgiving that person. They are terrible. They've done bad things and they probably have. But even saying, God, I can't even stand this person. Help me open my heart. Is a beautiful and honest prayer that God can work with. Allowing God in will lead us to confess Prayer will lead us to connection and to confession. So I just want to give you a few suggestions this week that you can apply to your life. The first one is get on your knees. Get on your knees when you pray. Stick your shoes under your bed. But getting on your knees, here's what getting on your knees does. It reminds you, you're not in control. Something bigger than you is at work here. It shows a humility and shows that God, a benevolent, loving God, is more for you than you are for yourself. Second, just confess. Just talk to God about the ways that you've fallen short. I'm not asking you to beat yourself up, but just name it. And ask God to change it. Third, my spiritual director told me this one. It's worked well for me. Pray to God in your own voice. Take the thoughts that you have in your head and actually say them out loud. Hear yourself speak to God in your own voice. And then last but not least, and perhaps the hardest for most folks, is take two minutes of silence and use a word to center on God and just say that word. Maybe it's healing or love or hope where you could begin to cultivate the skill of listening. Knees, confession, prayers, and silence. Brothers and sisters, if you do that, and you do that regularly, I promise you, you will have a powerful prayer life, which who knows what God can achieve. Let's pray together. God of light and love and of connection and confession, of benevolence, we give thanks for this congregation who, gathered, who gathers here today to pray, to worship, to remember who you are and who you've called us to be. Help us be that people who pray, be that people who serve, and be that people who forgive and love.
And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. We give back to the church uh, through our giving, which supports all the ministries of the congregation.